good. Enough talking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love your word. We love the Gospel of Matthew. And we pray that we would hear from you, that you would challenge us, encourage us, um, and that we would see the beauty and glory of Christ as we read from Matthew's Gospel together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me begin with some questions. What big things are you praying for at the moment? When, we, when I stopped us in, after two songs and said, let's pray, where do you want to see breakthrough? Where do you want to see healing? What big things are you praying for at the moment? When you come to God in prayer, what are you pouring out your heart for? What's the thing you really want to see God move mightily to do? And perhaps you want to ask this question, what's impossible without God? When you pray, are you praying for things that seem very possible from a human perspective? Or are you actually truly coming before God and saying, I know God, you can do this thing, even though for me, it's impossible. What's impossible for God that you are pouring out your heart for in prayer? Because this morning, uh, we're continuing our sermon series in Matthew. uh, And last week, you'll remember that Jesus came into the temple and he showed that he was very zealous for prayer in the place of the temple. He came in and he drove out the money changers. He drove out the people who were selling because he wanted God's house to be a house of prayer. And so last week we learned that Jesus is zealous and passionate that we pray. And this week we're asking the question, how should we pray? Yes, Jesus is passionate that we pray, but when we pray, how should we pray? And in order to answer that question, let's read Matthew 21, verses 18 to 32. And the verses should appear on the screen behind me. In the morning, as Jesus was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did this fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man has two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind. 
and believe him. So in this part of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus interacts first with the disciples and secondly he interacts with the chief priests, the elders, those who are in the temple. But he starts, doesn't he, in verse 18, or the first few verses, by cursing a fig tree such that it withers and dies. It's, it's actually a kind of bizarrely a favourite moment of mine when Jesus gets hungry and wants to pick some figs to eat. Now, Jesus curses this fig tree as a metaphor for the Jewish people. He sees in the Jewish people that there's no fruit There's no obedience in accordance with God's words. He's just gone into the temple and he's gone, this is supposed to be the place where everyone's praying and meeting with God the Father. And instead it's a place where people are selling things to make profit. And so Jesus sees in in the Jewish nation, in Israel, that the leaders in particular are not bearing fruit in keeping with the way they speak and the way they lead. They say, oh, we're the religious people. We're the people who know God best. We're the leaders in this place. But actually, the way they are living is not bearing fruit um, in in keeping with what, if you say you're a believer in God, you should bear fruit in your life. As he changes you, you should show the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience. You grow in fruit throughout your life. And Jesus says, I'm looking at the Israelites. I'm not seeing the fruit that I'm looking for. I'm seeing no fruit, no obedience, no true love for God. And therefore, Jesus curses the fig tree as a metaphor. Yes, he was hungry and he wanted some figs, but primarily he curses the fig tree as a metaphor because he's saying this is what happens when there's no fruit. (laughs) I can hear my echo. I'm preaching in the other room as well as here. This is is what happens when when there's no fruit in a life. The answer is that the person who's bare no fruit will wither and die just like the fig tree in this metaphor. In James, it says, if you have faith, you will bear fruit. And if you, ha- if you have no fruit, then that shows that your faith is dead. And so if you have faith in God, you will bear fruit in your life. So Jesus curses this victory as a metaphor. But his apostles don't get the metaphor at all. They are staggered. Instead of, getting, instead of going, oh, what a brilliant metaphor, Jesus, that you've just cursed this fig tree and withered, they're just going, whoa, what an amazing miracle, is how they react. And perhaps that, I think that's how I would react as well. I wouldn't go, oh, Jesus, what a clever metaphor. I'd go, wow, how did you do that, Jesus? That's awesome. And so they, they are staggered and they say to Jesus, why did the fig tree, uh, sorry, how did the fig tree wither at once? Perhaps they should have asked why. Why, Jesus, did you make the fig tree wither at once? But instead they say, how did that happen? And that enables Jesus to teach the disciples about prayers of faith. This is how Jesus responds. How did the fig tree wither? Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will do not only this with the fig tree withering, but you will also be able to throw mountains into the sea by a prayer of faith. Isn't that an extraordinary answer that Jesus gives? The fig tree withers and Jesus says, if you have faith when you pray, amazing things are going to happen. He even says in verse 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. That's a massive verse, isn't it? Isn't that a massive verse? Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. Perhaps for some of us, it's a slightly uncomfortable verse because we're thinking, well, I prayed for this. I had faith. Why didn't it happen? So we've, we've got to take Jesus at his word. But at the same time, there's an uncomfortableness about that verse for us. What's the truth and what's the encouragement in these verses? 
Well, firstly, it's obviously this. Church, when we pray, let's pray with faith. Let's believe in the power of God to do extraordinary things, to heal people, to do miracles, to bring salvation, to bring revival even in this town. Do you have faith, brothers and sisters, that God can do awesome, awesome things? Do you know, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus does some truly amazing miracles. In Matthew 21, verse 14, we read it last week, Jesus heals the lame and the blind when they come for him. This is not a small miracle, is it? These are people who are unable to walk and Jesus heals them so that they jump up and start to walk around. There's people who cannot see. They're completely blind and Jesus heals them and suddenly they can see. These these are awesome, awesome miracles. in this, chap- in this passage, the fig tree withers when Jesus prays and curses it. In Matthew chapter 20, two blind men incredibly recover their sight when Jesus prays for them. These are chapters in Matthew 20 and 21 that actually are more about Jesus' teaching, and yet there's still all these awesome miracles in the middle of Jesus' teaching. Let's go to a chapter that's about Jesus' miracles. Let's think about Matthew chapter 8. These are the miracles that happen in Matthew chapter 8. A leper is healed completely of his leprosy. A centurion's servant is healed from a distance. Jesus doesn't even go to the servant. He just says the word and the servant is healed. Peter is Peter's mother-in-law, lying ill in a bed. Jesus comes, heals her. She gets up and starts looking after everyone and serving dinner to all the people in the house. Many, it says in Matthew 8, many who were oppressed with demons came to Christ and the demons were driven out of them. It even says all who were sick came to him and he healed them. He heals two more guys who had demons in their lives and he calms a storm with just a word. That's just one chapter of the Bible. Jesus doing these awesome, amazing things. Just one chapter describing the power of Jesus Christ. Are you feeling stirred by the power of Christ to work miracles? Are you a person of faith? Are you saying, yes, I believe, I trust that Christ can do amazing and awesome things? Is that your heart this morning? Is that your heart when you come to God? I believe in the power of Jesus. I believe that nothing is impossible for him. Well, let me keep stirring your hearts. Let's go to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel were grumbling in the wilderness, do you know what God did? He brought manna from heaven. Food fell from heaven. When they needed water to drink, a rock was struck and water burst forth and there was water. This is the power of our God. When they blew trumpets in the Old Testament, the walls of Jericho fell down. Like I can tell you, if you walk around the school and blow a trumpet, even if you do it seven times, the school won't fall down. But when the power of God moves, trumpets can make a wall fall down. Do you know Joshua prayed in the Old Testament and the sun stood still in the sky during a battle. When, the implication is that it stood still for hours in that moment in order that they had the daylight to complete the battle. It says in that passage, actually, the Lord heeded the voice of a man. Joshua prayed, the Lord heeded the voice of a man, and the sun stood still in the sky. Let's go to the New Testament and elsewhere in the New Testament. In Acts 2... 3,000 people become Christians in one day. In Acts 3, a lame man walks when Peter and John meet with him. 
In Acts 4, the room shakes because the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people and they're given boldness to go on preaching the gospel. In Acts 5, many signs and wonders are done amongst the Christian believers and unbelievers are coming in and seeing the wonders and signs and multitudes are added and have faith in Jesus Christ. I could go on and on and on. You know, we finish at 12 o'clock. I could go all the way to 12 just telling you about the awesome deeds of God in the Bible. He does amazing, amazing things. What does that mean for us? It means we need to pray with faith. We need to come before God believing in his awesome, awesome power. And when we do metaphorical mountains are going to be thrown into seas. Unless you're praying with faith and God, God kind of gives you faith that a mountain will physically be thrown into the sea. I don't, think, I don't think that's what God is doing in this day and age. He might be. But we're going to see mountains thrown into seas. We're going to see God overcoming obstacles and doing awesome, awesome things. So what's the big thing you are praying for? Is it bigger now than it was at the start of this meeting? Or are you still having faith that God can do awesome, awesome things? And if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not praying for any big things in my life. I'm just kind of drifting along in my Christian walk. Well, can I, can I just exhort you? Have you read the Bible? Have you seen the amazing things that God can do? And are you looking out of the world and seeing people's need for God? People are desperate. They need him desperately to move. Have you no care for the people around you? Let's pray big things because we love people around us, and because we trust in the power of God. Let's pray with faith. Now, prayers offered in faith not only trust in God's power, but also in his goodness and in his wisdom. So some of you may well be thinking, I did pray for this thing with faith. I've given up now praying for that because I prayed for it in faith and nothing happened. I did not receive. I don't believe this verse that Jesus says in this Bible. Well, if that's you, can I encourage you, keep praying with faith. Do not give up. Do not stop. stop. Keep pressing in, believing that God can move, but also have faith in God's goodness. And that when he answers prayer, his first priority is to show love to you. And the prayer offered in faith, it also looks for an answer in faith, knowing that whatever God chooses to do will be the good and right thing for him to do. Sometimes God says, the timing's not right. It's not right for me to move. I'm going to answer that prayer, whatever you ask for in prayer, in faith. And that is a prayer in faith. And I'm going to answer it, but not yet. I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the time. My timing is is always right. My wisdom is perfect. My goodness is completely good. So I will answer that in the right time, but not yet. So keep praying in faith. But perhaps on occasion, we pray for something that doesn't actually come from a place of faith. We pray something that actually, in the wisdom of God, isn't actually a good request. You thought that your prayer request originated in faith, but actually it came from a selfish place and not fully trusting God. And so when we ask for things that are not good for us, God, in his goodness, says, actually, I'm going to say no to that request. That's not, the, that's not the right prayer. That's not, that's not come from a place of faith, actually, Duncan, or whoever you are. That's come from somewhere else. Do you know, unanswered prayers often come from a place of doubt. And I want to share an example with you in my own life, where I think, actually, I thought I was praying in faith, and it was a good prayer request, and I actually think I was praying with doubt. So when we launched this church, we launched without any 
musicians or worship leaders at all. And so, to be honest, the thing that I prayed about most, week in, week out, was, Lord, would you please just make a guitarist appear out of thin air for Sunday so that we can sing some songs together. It was, it was actually horrible. Like one time we got to the Friday and didn't have anyone. And I just went to a work colleague and said, please, will you come and play? Like he was a Christian from another church, but had very different style of worship to the way we worship. Like he, he was used to kind of organ worship, but he played the guitar and he's a Christian. And I was like, please just come and play guitar. And he came and it was, it was brilliant that he was there anyway. But so I would pray week in, week out, praying for musicians. Do you know what? Those prayers, I actually think, came from a place of doubt. I was doubting God to provide through the generosity of other churches during that period. I was saying, Lord, bring us the musician who's just going to play every week for us and be part of Christchurch Fairham. And actually what was happening was amazing because people from other churches were coming. We were so blessed by the church in Portsmouth. We're blessed today by people from Gateway Church in Fairham coming to lead worship for us. I've seen the generosity of Christians through that unanswered prayer. I've seen churches come together. So I was praying from doubt. Oh, we're going to have a rubbish meeting if there's no music and we don't have any musicians and we never, never will. And God, God was saying, actually, I'm providing for you. I'm showing my generosity. Do you see? I wasn't really praying by faith. I thought it was a faith-filled request. But actually, it wasn't from faith. It, I wasn't asking for what God truly wanted. And at some point, God said, OK, now you can have some fantastic musicians. Joyston was here all along, working hard as well alongside me to bring in people. He did a great job. He's a great worship leader but, and learned to play the bass, specifically so that we had bass players in our meetings. So let me say to you today, if you are someone who feels you have prayed with faith and you did not receive, this is a fresh invitation to believe in the words of Christ. Don't, don't say Jesus must have been lying because my experience doesn't fit with what Jesus says. Let's come in prayer and in faith. Truly, he says, pray in faith and great things will come to pass. And if I can comment on British Christians just for a moment, I think we tend to be reserved in the way we worship and in the way we pray. And we need to be challenged. I love having Dio on our eldership team because when we pray as an eldership team, like, we're having like a formal business meeting yesterday and Dio's like, oh, we just need to wait on the Holy Spirit and if people want to pray in tongues, and let, let's make that happen. And, and we just go into a time of prayer and I'm like, Dio, I was leading this business meeting and you've just interrupted and caused us to pray. But it was, that was just so wonderful. And, and I think we as British Christians need to be challenged by cultures who are teaching us to pray with real faith and real boldness and not, you know, kind of restricting ourselves in the way we pray. I'm preaching to myself, 100%. I need to be bold in the way I pray, and I want us as a church to be bold in the way we pray. Because that's what Jesus teaches his disciples. Now, after this story, a question is asked of Jesus about authority. How dare you drive people out of the temple, Jesus? How dare you make that fig tree wither? On whose authority are you doing these things? Who sent you? Who, what's your authority? And we know, reading this story as Christians today, that he is God the Son on the earth so he's operating as God's authority and he's operating under his father's authority Jesus said I do what I see my father doing so he has the greatest authority in all the world to do the things that he's doing and so it's outrageous to challenge him as these religious leaders do but Jesus knows it's a trap he, he knows that they're trying to get him to say something so that they can take him down arrest him and get rid of him and that is of course what happens is ultimately they they gather up evidence against Christ and use it to crucify him on the cross not that he did anything wrong but just these are the motives of the people asking him these questions and so Jesus answers the question with a question whose authority was 
John the Baptist working under? Was it God or was it man? And the people who answer the question are too afraid to answer. They're afraid of the crowd and they're afraid of the retort if they say that John was speaking by God's authority. The second thing I want to draw out this passage, the first thing is prayers of faith. The second thing I want to draw out is paying lip service to God, but not following through with actions. Jesus tells a parable. After he's questioned on authority, he tells a parable. And he tells a parable about a father and two sons. And the first son says to his father, I'm not going to go and work in the vineyard. The father says, go and work in the vineyard. He says, I'm not going to. I don't want to. I refuse to go. I wonder if any of the parents in the room have um, kids who are like this. They get asked to do something and go, no, no way, I'm not doing it. But this son says no and then does actually do what his father says. So, I don't know, he had a rebellious streak, a rebellious moment, but then he chooses to do what Jesus is saying to him. The second son says, yes, of course, father, you're so wonderful. Your instructions are brilliant. You're so wise in telling me to go and work in the vineyard. I will do precisely what you say. And then he goes home and plays on his Xbox. Like he doesn't do what he is told to do. He doesn't go and work it, but he says he will. He pays lip service to his father. And yet he does not do what he says he was going to do. Now, the first son is like a prostitute or a tax collector who on the surface, when you meet them or when you look at them, you might think they're very, very far away from God. These two individuals are chosen deliberately. A tax collector was a person who'd betrayed the people of God. So the tax collector would take money from the Israelites and give money to the Roman people who had invaded Israel. So they were considered to be betrayers. And of course, the prostitutes, their career choice was was effectively to lure people into sin. Now, they may have done that out of desperation, uh, and so we have, we have to have soft hearts towards them, but we, we, we understand that what they've chosen to do as a job is to lure others into sin. So these, these two people groups are chosen deliberately by Jesus. He's, he's, con- he's choosing controversial people groups, and he's saying these people look like they're very far away from God. They might outwardly even criticise the idea of belief in God, but then the offer of forgiveness is given to them. They hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Grace is proclaimed. They're told to repent and turn. And even on the outside, they look like they're not going to believe in Christ. On the inside, they really do. And they understand the instruction. And they turn from their lives. And they turn and believe in Christ. They they obey the instructions given. They're not the people who are paying lip service, but they're people who are obeying the commands of God. Well, compare that to the second son who represents the religious leaders in Jerusalem at this time. Judged by purely outward appearance, they might appear to be very, very godly. They say all the right things, but in reality, their hearts are very, very far from God. They have not asked for mercy. They've not admitted that they need the forgiveness of God even, and they haven't repented of their sin. Now, here's the thing. This is why this is so important. This is why we preach stories like this. In churches all over the world, probably, I really hope not, but probably here in this church, there are people who sing the nice words that appear on the screen, say amen to the prayers, listen to the sermon, join in with everything that happens on a Sunday, but actually it's all a show. 
lip service to God. They have not repented of their sin. They have not truly put their faith in Jesus. Do you know one of the scariest verses in all the Bible is in Matthew 7 verse 22. Jesus is speaking and he says, On that day many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Notice the pride in that statement. Firstly, Jesus, I've done all these awesome things for you. That's not how we should approach Jesus. It's, you died for me. You loved me. You saved me. Thank you for how awesome you are. But these people come and they list all the awesome things they think they've done. What does Jesus say to them? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are people in churches today who will claim to have prophesied, cast out demons and done mighty works in the name of Jesus. And when they come to the place of judgment, Jesus will say, I never knew you because it was a show. They were paying lip service to God. They hadn't truly said to God, I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. Change me by your power of your Holy Spirit. Let let me be in relationship with you, Jesus. It was all a show. And that's what the Jewish leaders were like in the Gospels. All show, all outward appearance, all about their works which appear to be godly, full of pride, a belief that their religiousness will save them. They say the right words and they sing the right songs, but they never truly obey Jesus when he says, repent of sin, believe in me, come and have a relationship with the Father. Now if you're scared that that's you, this is a moment to pray. Hey, forget the rest of the sermon, just pray now in your heart. Heavenly Father, I confess I have sinned. I need your mercy. Forgive me. Lord, send the Holy Spirit into my heart so I might truly have a relationship with you. He will not ignore that heartfelt prayer. He will not ignore that heartfelt prayer. And actually, if that's you, if you're scared, that can be the very best prayer that you pray. Lord, I'm scared. I'm scared that I would be religious, that I'd just pay lip service and I want you to change my heart. That would be an awesome, awesome prayer and God would answer that prayer. You might be confident that you are a Christian. You know you have a relationship with Jesus. But you might still be guilty of lip service in other areas of life. Just examine yourself for a moment and ask yourself, do my words and my deeds match up? Is my boldness in prayer as bold and as faithful and as regular in the secret place behind closed doors when nobody's watching compared to me here when I'm surrounded by other brothers and sisters. Just examine yourself. Do my words and my deeds match up? And if not, confess your sin and remind yourself of mercy in Jesus Christ. That's what he died for, for our forgiveness. So don't be condemned. Don't be condemned. But just ask for him to change you, that in your own life you would pray in the secret place and have a relationship truly with Jesus Christ. The final thing that we should see from this parable is the good news is truly for all people who believe. I've said already that Jesus chooses the tax collectors and the prostitutes deliberately. He picks a group of people who are very rich, the tax collectors, and he picks a people that were presumably very poor in the prostitutes. He picks people who are, who are hated by the Israelites, people who would be described as those who have betrayed our people. And yet, what does he say? These people are receiving salvation before you. These people are entering into the kingdom of God before you, before the priests in the temple. They are receiving and entering into the kingdom of God. Why is it that they are receiving salvation? Well, look at verse 32. 
is because they believe. It's because John the Baptist came. And John the Baptist's ministry was a ministry of baptising people for repentance. He says you need to confess your sin. You need to be washed clean from the things you've done wrong. You need to turn away from sin and you need to believe in the coming Messiah. This is what John the Baptist preached. And so he declared that. Why are the tax collectors and prostitutes entering the kingdom of God? Because they believed John when he preached that. They humbly confessed their sin. They received baptism from John the Baptist. They repented from their sin and they believed in the promise of the coming Messiah. Now we are in a better place than them because we know the Messiah has already come. They were waiting for someone. John was saying someone is coming. Someone who's awesome is coming soon. But we know that Jesus has already come. And so we are called to humbly confess our sin to Jesus. To receive baptism in the name of Christ. To repent of our sin and to believe all the words of Jesus Christ. These leaders... They are meeting Jesus in the flesh. They are seeing him face to face. And even now, they refuse to believe and repent. And so I'd urge each of you to not be like these religious leaders. But as we worship, as we gather, as we do church, as we go through life, as we see the power of God and the power of Christ, let us confess our sins and believe in Christ. This passage means forgiveness is for all who truly believe. No one is ruled out. Whatever you've done in the past, whether you're a tax collector here this morning, whether you're a prostitute here this morning or watching online, forgiveness is for all who believe. Whatever you've done, whoever you are now, whatever you've failed to do in the past, forgiveness is available to you if you believe in Christ. Don't rule yourself out from that wonderful, wonderful offer. This room is full of people who have sinned and messed up and been selfish and proud and done things wrong and and got to the lowest places in our lives. And then we turn to Christ and ask for mercy. And Jesus, in his love, offered it graciously to us. Forgiveness for past deeds, freedom from guilt, promise of eternal life, relationship with God the Father can be yours today if you would turn to Christ for mercy. And if you've already turned to Christ for mercy in your life, those things are yours forever and ever. Don't rule friends or family out either, by the way, Christians. Maybe that's your big prayer request. When you're thinking about what you're praying for, you've got this big thing that you desperately want a friend or a family member to be saved. And you're thinking, this is impossible. They're so far away. Or or they seem to be going in completely the wrong direction. Lord, this is impossible. I'm praying that you would move. Remember this story. Remember this parable that the tax collectors and the prostitutes entered into the kingdom of God ahead of the religious leaders in Israel. Forgiveness is for all. And so keep praying those prayers. Keep making that your biggest prayer. That's a prayer of love that you are praying. So keep praying it, believing that God can do the impossible. That's the thing you need to have faith in. Maybe you're thinking of people now who you think they're so far away from God. Keep praying boldly for them because it's often these people who enter the kingdom of God first. I feel God would want us to respond to this message this morning and to the three things that I've brought. So let's just have a a time of responding. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes and just respond to God. I'm going to invite you, if if one of these things resonates with you, just just in your heart say yes. If, If you want someone to pray with you, you can even raise your hand and I'll make sure someone prays with you after the service. But the first group of people who need to respond, potentially all of us, 
you've got big prayer requests that you need faith for. You need a healing in your life. You want to see someone saved. You want to see revival in this town. You want to see signs and wonders and miracles in the church. You've been praying for that and calling out. Or maybe you haven't been praying for that, but you're feeling stirred now that you really ought to be praying for those kind of things. You've got a big prayer request that you need faith for. I want to pray for you guys first. Heavenly Father, grant us faith. Thank you for the awesome deeds you have done throughout the history of the Bible and in this church and throughout our lives as Christians. We believe, we have faith that you are able to do the impossible. Lord, we confess that at times we've given up and we've come with huge doubts. But Lord, now we want to say, fill our hearts with faith. Make us bold prayers. Break us out of praying small prayers that that don't really mean very much and moving us so that we pray big prayers, believing you are able to do awesome things. Lord, I pray even next week we would have testimonies of mountains being thrown into the sea as you answer our big prayers. And so Lord, we Offer up those prayers now in faith, without doubting, we're believing and trusting in your awesome, awesome power to answer these prayers that are in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're in my second group of people and you just want to confess lip service to God rather than heartfelt obedience. Lord, I've said the right things, I've put on a show, I've put on a mask, people think I'm a great Christian. Lord, you know the truth. Lord, we just confess that perhaps all of us in, the, in this room feel in some way that way. Forgive us for paying lip service and not doing the things you ask. I pray particularly if there's anyone who has not repented and believed in Christ, I pray now you would grant repentance to their heart. But I pray for all of us that we would be real in this place, that we would be real in our relationships with one another. And that we would truly obey your commands, not just say we will, not just say we're praying for someone, but actually pray for someone. Not just sing songs on a screen, but really worship you all the week through because of who you are and how awesome you are. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My third and final group, you've ruled yourself out from salvation. We are worried that you're not saved. I want to pray for you that you would truly be saved, the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon you now, that you would enter into the kingdom of God. Lord, we know that no one is ruled out from salvation. Whatever we've done in the past, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ because he died on the cross for sins. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone who's ruled themselves out of salvation, come now and speak to them and say, you are not ruled out. I love you. I created you. There is salvation in the name of Christ. And where there are doubts of salvation, Lord, would you, by the power of the Spirit, bring, um, bring grace and power and a knowledge of relationship with you. I thank you that that's what we enjoy as Christians, relationship with God the Father. And you work in us so that we bear fruit in keeping with our repentance. I pray you would do that in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.